Carhartt assumes you got your Carhartt purse with you, Anise. <laughs> That's for sure. They do make those. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to life, and we're figuring it out because who knows? We don't. I'm Jonah. And I'm Jack. This is the podcast of our crusade to be at least mediocre at everything. On today's episode, we have a niece with us, and she is a tiny house builder. So she's going to talk all about building a tiny house, what what led her to build tiny houses, and just kind of what the tiny house movement is like for, for people in a world where everyone seems to be obsessed with tiny houses. So thank you, Anise, for being here. Uh, glad you could be on with us. Hi, thanks for having me. I guess we'll start off with tell us about yourself. Well, I'm Anise, and I'm 28, and I live in the Midwest. That's where I grew up, and I'm interested in all sorts of stuff. And started out going to college because that's what you are told you have to do to survive in America Mm -hmm. these days. And I got a degree and I was so proud of myself. And I worked in um, the behavioral health industry for a period of time and then just realized, oh, like this tiny house thing. Like I'm obsessed with it. I've been obsessed with it since I was a teenager. And it kind of just started to take over. Like there was a very subtle shift in that balance over time of like, okay, first I'll just spend my time watching YouTube videos about tiny houses and I work full time. And then now I don't work full time for someone else. I'm building my tiny house full time. So the balance has changed, but it's a good one so far. It's been a journey. I love that. Are you planning to live in this tiny house or are you planning to sell this tiny house? What's the plan? I'm going to sell it. Hopefully going to sell it. The backup plan is to list it on Airbnb. Um, if there's, for some reason, nobody who wants to buy it. I'm definitely a person who is risk averse and has to have a plan A and B and C. So <laughs> that's the goal. Hopefully after this one's finished, I will sell it to someone who wants it. And then someone will come along and say, hey, I saw that you built this tiny house. Can you build one for me? And that would be really cool to build yeah. them for other people. or build a range of tiny things (laughs) (laughs) just mini just miniatures all over the place yeah i was talking to my friend this weekend her sister's a bartender and she was like my sister's raking in the dough during this pandemic as a bartender at a restaurant like whoever would have thought and uh she was talking about how she needs a summer job because she's a teacher and we're sitting there chatting about her sister who's a bartender and she's a teacher and is going to need summer work and i build all these tiny things and I was like, wouldn't it be so cool to have like a livestock trailer? Because those things are just on the side of the road here or in people's backyards. Like you could get, probably come by one for free. I was like, wouldn't it be so cool to have a livestock trailer and like refinish it into a mobile bar and just post up at a wedding every weekend and bartend for a wedding in the summer? That'd be a cool summer job. That is ge- like, yeah, both of our it. faces. You're just like, <sighs> yeah, make that open. happen. Make that yeah. happen immediately. People would love the shit out of that, especially here in the Midwest, because you have I feel like you have two types of people. You have people who actually are farmers and then you have the people who like live in the city, but they're or in the suburbs, but they're in the Midwest. And they're like, yeah, we're kind of like farmers by association. So everybody here is into cowboy boots and cattle and weddings and barns a a good farm wedding yeah everybody that's the way you do it here if i don't know if you get married did it even happen if you didn't do it in a barn in the midwest (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) no it's void yeah yeah that is fantastic so i mean lots of cool ideas and and hopefully you can you can do all those things it started as a really big interest turned into an obsession and a passion and now it's your full-time gig essentially yeah that's That's awesome right yeah it was just like a slow burn i guess you could say (laughs) as relationships with things go yeah i just i saw one i was like i think i was 15 i was laying in my loft bunk bed you know the ones that have like a desk underneath Mm. i was just laying there on like that stumble upon website that probably isn't even active anymore oh my gosh and 
I saw a picture of one that I think now, now when I remember it, I'm like, that had to be Photoshopped. Like it probably wasn't real. It was just too pristine of an image for like a decade ago on the internet, (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. to be legitimate, but it was in a prairie and it had a red roof and it was on wheels and the siding was cedar. And I was like, wow, look at this like tiny house that's mobile that someone lives in. I've never seen some, anything like this before. Never seen anything like this before. It'd be so cool to like live in one or build one. And I have not stopped thinking about them since. Like I saw that first picture and ever since then, I have a constant loop somewhere in my brain thinking about something related to tiny homes. That's awesome. So you basically made your dream become a reality. So major props to you. My, My question is prior to making your dream a reality, had you had experience like with building, you know, with construction or anything, or did you just kind of learn on the fly? I've had experience, but it's, it's been a little bit of both. I think growing up on a farm definitely gives you a lot of skills in figuring things out or in building things, whether it's like, you know, by the code book or not. Um, because you just do, you have to figure out how to put something together or how to fix something when it breaks, when you live in the middle of nowhere and like Home Depot isn't right down the street, you know, it's, it makes more sense to fix it on your own. Um, so I've just grew up like that, like helping my dad in the shop with weld jobs and fixing everything from water tanks to diesel semi trucks, um, just like handing them wrenches and all sorts of things and kind of learning that way. My dad's taught me a lot. And then when my husband and I moved back to the Midwest from Virginia, when he got new orders, he's in the Navy, we moved in with my parents and finished the basement apartment down here. It was just like a empty, dirty, full of spiders, disgusting basement. Um, Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) And we just renovated it into a full studio apartment with a kitchen and a bathroom and all that type of stuff. So that was really fun. It was quite a big project, but it was a really good learning experience to from start to finish from like roughing in gas lines and plumbing to studs to finishing the ceiling and the drywall and paint and trim and all of that. It was definitely a good experience that's helped me prepare for the tiny house. And I think it gave me a lot of confidence. So working on that and just, you know, getting like a to-do list from my dad and watching YouTube and figuring stuff out or having him teach me, I was like, oh, if I can do this, like, a tiny house is is essentially the same. It's just less square footage, but it's got all the same components. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, all the all the skills that you need, all rolled like and and I guess you had to do it because you had to live in it. Yeah, we needed a place to live, and I was like, I'm not about living in town. <laughs> I wanted, mm. I want to live on the family farm. So we figured it out. Wow, that's awesome. That's what we do around here. We figure it out. And uh, I, I know nothing about building, really. I made a desk once out of plywood. So that counts. It sounds like if you made like a studio apartment, you know, more square footage, and then you just kind of like shrunk all that down into a tiny house, it seems like there would be a lot more intricacies. You know, it seems almost harder to make sure that you have everything, but within a, a smaller space, if that makes sense. Or am I, am I making this up? No, you're not making it up. It's hard to fit all the things you have to have in a house into something that's super small. My tiny house isn't super small. It's 37 foot long by eight and a half feet wide. So it's larger, especially when you compare it to most tiny homes on wheels. You have to figure out how to fit all of that stuff that you have to have in a house into a smaller space. And I think the toughest part for me with the tiny house was the actual foundation that it goes on. Like it's built on a trailer frame. So when we were building this studio apartment, it was already like rough roughed in. Like the toilet drain was already there and the tub drain was already there. Um, So obviously like all of the water here just drains into a drain that was already in through the concrete floor and the concrete is all already here for the foundation. So my dad already had a plan of like, okay, this is like very basic where everything goes. And there were little tweaks here and there. Like we didn't know where the kitchen was really going to be or how the kitchen was going to be. So we had to figure that out. But basic, like here's a starting point was given to us. And with the tiny house, I had to make the starting point. Like the starting point was, oh, I want to build one. 
And then I had to figure out how to plan for it and how to order materials and what materials to order and how everything is going to fit together to make an end product that actually functions well. Because there's nothing worse than a small space that like annoys the shit out of you when you're trying to live in it. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it was like new territory for you, but like totally different type of planning. Yeah. Very different planning. I had never done like the planning phase like that before. That was the new part that I had to figure out. I felt great about, yeah, I can like wield a drill. (laughs) I can do all that type (laughs) of stuff. I can assemble things. I can put things together. I can use a hammer. That's fine. Like I can install plumbing with my dad. No big deal but planning it from start to finish and getting really intricate with, okay, I have to see how this is all going to come together at the end because where you hang like a wall material or where you need to screw something into a wall matters when you're putting the wall together, matters when you're planning the wall and everything is connected. So for me, it helped to plan everything at once at the beginning all the way through. And that's made everything go so much more smoothly. Like what's that saying? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm. I definitely feel like that applies in building as well. Mm. Yeah. You were the architect, contractor, uh, builder, and then you'll be the uh, real estate agent at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about like the building process and all that kind of stuff in, in a minute here, but I just want to talk a little bit more about like you and you know, like that leap that you made, cause you had, you had a nine to five job mm-hmm. and you did the thing that a lot of people want to do is say, you know what? I don't want to work for someone else anymore. I don't want to do nine to five. I want to do what I'm passionate about, what my dream is about. And you did it right. What led you to actually pursue that dream? It was a long process and a lot of stress and fear. And I didn't actually take the leap until I realized my window of opportunity to take said leap was getting smaller and smaller. And I was like, oh crap. Like if I don't do this now, there might come a time when I can't do it, or it really won't make sense to do it, or it will be too risky to do it. And I just felt like I owed it to myself and like my future self to give it the old college try and go balls to the wall. And be scared while doing it and stressed and kind of just hope that everything combined with my hard work would work out okay. And I also just realized like I can keep talking to my coworkers that I'm going to miss. That's not going to be so bad. And I can always get another job if I really need one. If this doesn't work out and I can't make a living off of it, that's okay because I have already figured out how to make a living in the field I'm currently in. So I had to have a therapist and like talk through all of my stress and my like pain points and my fears and my risks because I don't do risk. I don't do risky things. I am not big on bravery. That is not one of my core values. I like to play it safe um, and really, you know, take care of whatever the future is going to hold. And it was a tough decision, but I just, I spent so much time laboring over it and then realized I'm sitting here thinking about doing this and processing what's going to happen if I do it or don't do it. Meanwhile, time is passing me by and I am losing the chance to do it if I wait too long. Brene Brown would be proud of you. I hope so. (laughs) Sponsor us, Brene. (laughs) I got really into tiny living. I still am. I think it's really interesting. But outside of just seeing that picture when you're on your loft bed and saying, this is so cool. What makes you interested in the tiny living in the movement, not just the structure, but tiny living in general? Well, I think the best part about it is that it's allowed a bunch of different people to live their best life, whether that means like financial freedom or being able to travel or living in the exact spot that they want to live. It seems like it just is a pathway for freedom in whatever way that looks for a bunch of different people out there. It doesn't box anybody in like this system that most of us are currently subscribes to where like go to college and you get a job and then you get a mortgage and then like maybe you get married and maybe you have kids and then you die. (sighs) That's so stressful. Like to think that that's all that life consists of. So to see all of these people on YouTube and on Instagram who have bought a tiny house or who have built a tiny house and live in it and they're doing all sorts of different things. Like, yeah, they're all tiny house dwellers and that's the same. 
but they're not, they're not the same people. They're not doing the same things. There's a huge range of lifestyles that they all live and freedoms that they can all enjoy because they live in a tiny house. I just feel like a system like that I, I can subscribe to where everybody can like be plugged into this thing that we have in common, but we're all still doing it our own way and doing it differently, I think is so cool. And that's, that, that's the other part of design and creation with it that I love. Like a tiny house should be designed for who's going to live in it and the lifestyle that they want to have, which just opens up like a whole other world of opportunity for me when I'm like sitting down thinking about floor plans and thinking about the different type of people who could inhabit that floor plan and what they're going to need or not need and how that might compare to other floor plans. I don't know. I get super nerdy about that type of thing. I just think it goes, it's like, it's pervasive throughout the whole tiny house world. Like that kind of, I don't know, personalization from the house itself to the lifestyle it allows the people who live in them to live. Yeah. I agree. And and something that I, I value about tiny living is I, and I feel like this might even be within the culture of the folks who live in tiny dwellings is everything is intentional. The light switches in this spot for a reason. You know, I know so many people who have these houses that have empty rooms or they're, they need to buy things to fill the space when nothing in, in their life, you know, at home is intentional. And so the beauty of simplicity and it just being so thought out and everything works for you. You don't work for it is such a freeing idea. Yeah. It's like building a house on purpose instead of all those houses in the suburbs where like you walk into your neighbor's house and you already know where the bathroom is because it's in the same place as it is in your house. Cause they're all built the same. They're like so unique. They're just as unique as the people that live in them. Agreed. Wow. What a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, here I am in my cookie cutter house. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> that's okay. That's an accomplishment too. I don't mean to shit on cookie cutter houses. They're no, great. No, no. Some yeah. people want those. It's just, yeah. I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm shitting on it. You, yeah, it's okay. I, you know, like there's something just so unique about, about these custom houses or these tiny houses and then tiny houses take it a step further because like you guys said, you have to be intentional about it. And so that kind of leads me to my next question of like, how much of tiny house building is planning versus building the actual thing? Cause like yeah. you got to think about every single detail and it has to fit on this size platform or trailer. Yeah. It's it's, I feel like from what I've seen on YouTube and from Instagram and just watching other people who have built tiny homes, you get into a quick pickle I hope that doesn't mean anything other than what I just said, but you get into a quick pickle if you don't plan ahead. If you don't plan for where you're going to store your winter shoes, winter rolls around after you've lived there. If you moved in in spring and then you're like, well, crap, we didn't plan for this type of storage because in a normal house, that's no big deal. You can, you can find a closet somewhere to put something in, but in a tiny house, you really have to get intentional with what you're planning and what you need and what you don't. And you have to, I think it helps if you sit down at the beginning and plan all the way to the end and then stick to that. Like really get nitty gritty down to the details. Where are we going to put screws for the sheetrock or whatever you're using to sheath your walls? Um, because you, it would be a, a bummer <laughs> to like have the walls up ready to like put your, your interior cladding on and then realize, oh, this isn't going to work for the material we wanted to use and the spacing of the framing members. So all of that stuff is super important. I almost got into trouble with my electrical wiring and it was literally off by just a couple of inches. And I was so stressed because there are punch outs in the metal uh, studs that I use for framing. And that's where you run all of your utilities, your electrical, your plumbing, any other cables you would run or run in the wall for whatever reason. And so my electrician and I are feeding the cables through the wall for electricity through the kitchen and she leaves and all of this work is already done. And I realize, oh my gosh, that looks like it's three feet high and kitchen counters are three feet high. When I screw my cabinets into the wall, is it going to hit 
those electrical wires that we just spent all this time installing. And it was literally off by like an inch and a half. So I'm cool. <laughs> but that was something I didn't necessarily think about in the beginning when I was planning. And I'm glad it worked out that it's, it's not a problem. But you can save yourself a lot of money and time and prevent a lot of rework if you think about all of those details. And not everybody has all that experience when they set out. So I think there's such thing as beginner's luck that we can depend on a little bit, but it does save a lot of headaches to plan for what goes where down to a door hinge that literally can matter. Yeah, I did not think about any of those things. I was thinking more like, oh, you know, I, the drawer has to be like this because if it doesn't, then we lose this kind of space for something else because the space is so small, but that totally makes sense that in addition to those things, you got to think about the materials and where you're putting screws and and whatever else because it all impacts each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it all like you have to have somewhere to hang your cabinets so electrical wires can't be there because you're gonna have a screw there. Yeah, it's it's intricate and it's also I hope I'm not making it sound harder than it is. Like rework isn't that big of a deal. Is it a bummer for sure? Is it a pain in the ass? Yeah. Is it annoying? Of course. But it's not the end of the day either in most cases. Yeah. It sounds like you need some patience, something I don't have. My motto is measure once, cut twice, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can, you can measure once and cut twice with this, but it'll cost you. (laughs) Yeah. I've made those mistakes or or like, I I feel like even just using a different tape measure. I'm like, how... How is this different? But it's eh, little things make a big difference. But my dad taught me this lesson. I like ordered a bunch of framing for the house and I ordered just exactly what I would need, which was a bad decision. And anybody who's experienced in building will be like, oh my God, noob, which is what I was. That's fair. But um, we were building, we were building the framing, assembling the framing and raising the walls. And my dad noticed that the material pile was like getting a little sparse. And he goes, are you going to have enough? And I said, well, yeah, like I planned it all in SketchUp in three in the 3D model. I ordered exactly what I needed. And he said, always order at least 10% more material than what you think you're going to need. And I was like, I'm such a good planner that I don't need to waste that type of money. I'm on a budget, dad. And I proved him wrong only for framing. For everything else, <laughs> he was correct. Like that's literally the only thing I planned down to a T. Um, and was okay with. Um, and then I ended up changing some designs in the middle. And I guess he was right anyway, because my interior walls, I changed them and did need more framing for. But for everything else, for plumbing, I have, there was a couple weeks where I felt like I was going to Menard's uh, home improvement store around here every day because I didn't have enough fittings for whatever I was trying to do with plumbing, or I didn't have this right part or enough of that right part. So yeah, always order more than what you think you're going to need. You can return it later if you end up not needing it in most cases. Sound, sound advice for, for building anything, not just a tiny house. Yeah, for building anything. You're saying all these words that I don't know. If I wanted to build a tiny house tomorrow in, in muggle terms, what do I need? Be it a tool, be it an app. If I wanted to start getting into this tomorrow, what would be your first piece of advice? I honestly think you either need a handy dad or YouTube. Like one or the other will get you by. Both are better. I had both. So I'm lucky in those cases. But YouTube is what got me started. Like watching other people on YouTube build their tiny houses and seeing what they were using for materials and what tools were helpful and how basic it could be or how intricate it could be or how involved it could be or not. There's so many different ways to do it. And everybody on the internet is doing it all sorts of different ways. Some people are doing it wrong, but there's people who will point that out too. So YouTube was definitely helpful in getting me started. Like we all, don't we all have access to the internet for the most part? So I think if you've got the internet, you can get by. That's that's our other motto. YouTube it baby. YouTube it baby. Yeah. No. <laughs> YouTube is like it's such a who needs an encyclopedia? There's YouTube. Yeah, there's misinformation on there. But you can <laughs> any question at least about tiny houses, just put it in the search bar on YouTube and somebody's probably made a video about it. 
YouTube is sponsoring us now, everybody. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, also, you know, I'm a big fan of YouTube. And this is uh, sort of an aside, but not at all related to tiny houses. But Jack and I started playing golf recently. And uh, we started playing with my parents who've been playing for like 15 years. And my parents are like so shocked all the time because they're like, how do you know all these things already? And they didn't have access to YouTube. Mm -hmm. They had to go to a teacher. They had to go to classes. They had to go to all these things. And so we're so lucky to live in this uh, time period where at the click of a button, we have 20 different tutorials. And so why not take advantage of that? For free too. Exactly. It doesn't cost anything. And I think that's why it's such a great resource. Like there are so many tiny house building workshops and meetups in non-pandemic times, of course, that you can go to in real life and pay money to attend. But I was working full time and I did not, I didn't want to take my time off to go to a workshop when I could just watch the people who made that workshop make videos on YouTube, (laughs) just watch those videos and learn and avoid their mistakes or have some questions I didn't even know I would have answered ahead of time. And from there, of course, like I feel like it will lead whoever is building something to the resources that they need. Like one of the big debates in the tiny house world is, do you use stick framing, like conventional wood framing like you would in a house, or do you use metal framing? And whatever you choose, you're going to need different resources, maybe some different tools to kind of go forward from there. And I chose metal framing. So I found a textbook on the prescriptive method for metal framing, probably from somebody from YouTube. I don't even remember. And it's just one step after another. Like you find a resource that points you to a new resource after you make a decision and then another resource and you're just figuring it out as you go. Yeah. I mean, and not only that, but like you're making mistakes and you're learning from those mistakes and that's helping you too. Yeah. Or watching other people make, make mistakes and like learning from that. Like that's, that's the biggest thing I think that YouTube has helped me with is the comment section, which sometimes Mm. are quite hostile, but funny at the same time, but you'll be watching a video and you'll realize like, okay, I have no idea what these people are doing. I just know that they're doing something as it relates to building a tiny house on a trailer. And then you go to the comments and you can tell pretty quickly if like what they're doing is great or not, because people in the comments will tell you if they're doing it right or not. And a lot of times they're nice about it and they'll, they'll just say in the comments, Hey, uh, I'm concerned about this. Have you thought about this The material that you're using? This is my issue. This is the way you usually apply it. Like maybe do some research or something before you proceed, or they'll have a disclaimer for people watching the video. And if there's just one or two, those people probably don't know what they're talking about either. But if like the vast majority of comments are like red flags everywhere, these people don't watch them for advice, watch them for entertainment only, then you know, like, okay, this is fun to watch, but maybe not safe to apply. <laughs> Interesting. All right. All right. Cool. So yeah, listen to the YouTubers, but more importantly, listen to the comments. Yeah. How is Instagram helpful? Oh, it's so inspiring. I know some people don't feel this way about Instagram, but my algorithm is on point. All right. Like they've got <laughs> me figured out and the people I follow are just, they seem so genuine and they're not like big famous Instagram people. They're like, people who have 200 followers and don't care about that and are just posting about their build along the way. And so it's cool to connect with people who I feel are like me, like just somebody in the middle of nowhere building a tiny house because I want to and talking about the materials that we're using or if we're like in the same stage of our build, which oftentimes I have been with this little like community of people I found on Instagram. I'll see on their story, like, okay, they're working on insulation. I'm about to work on insulation. I need to ask them some questions. Because if they're two steps ahead of you, they're, they have information that can help you. Oh, um, yeah. And so that's kind of nice. And it's very, like, it's, it's not intimidating to reach out to those people because they, I feel like they're just like me. <laughs> like, they're not, you know, like Bryce who runs Living Big in a Tiny House who has, like, millions of followers and posts a new video every Friday. Like, they're not famous like that. They're just sharing their journey like I am along yeah. the way. Yeah, they're happy to help just like you would be happy to help. Someone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's really cool that you got like a community of, of people that you're okay with going to, but then you also have, you know, like resources that you can tap into like YouTube. 
we got a couple questions from our followers on Instagram about tiny living. And so this person asked, what do you do for a foundation or do you prefer a mobile unit? I think you kind of talked about this a little bit more, but can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think it depends on what the buyer or what the person who lives in the tiny home is going to eventually want. I plan on selling my tiny home. So it needs to leave. (laughs) So it's on a trailer (laughs) with wheels because it can't stay here whenever whoever buys it. But there are tons of people out there who build tiny homes on a concrete foundation, on a slab foundation, on no foundation and just have like one of those sheds that you would see at Lowe's that they've converted all sorts of different things. I prefer like my favorite type of tiny house is one that's on wheels, like on a trailer that you can pull behind a truck. That's my favorite kind. I just think it's so cool to, in in what world can you move your house around? Like, come on, that's just so cool. Like to pick up your whole life and be like, I don't like Arizona anymore. I'm going to go to Washington and just change it. Like all you have to do is find a parking spot or something. I just think that's so cool. So I think it just, yeah, depends on what you want and you just kind of have to go from there. I, when I got really into tiny living, cause I was pretty sure I was going to get one eventually. Maybe I'll just buy yours, Anise. <laughs> a big thing that, fo- and this was a while back, so I'm sure this has kind of been updated, but a lot of people were like, things you didn't know about tiny living. The ones on wheels, they're nice to look at, but moving it is, it's not as easy or as uh, delicate as you think. <laughs> I feel like that's probably accurate. And it probably has a lot to do too with the integrity of the build. Like, how are the walls doing on the inside? How is everything framed? How is everything fastened down? Um, how is the weight distributed? All of those types of questions. Like that, that would be the questions I would have about tiny houses that mm. are going down the road and like walls are warping. That doesn't sound super safe to me. So maybe like go check on who built it, <laughs> like ask them some questions. I wouldn't want to pull my tiny house down the highway at 70 miles an hour, which is the speed limit because it's 40 feet long almost. And that just doesn't sound like it just, eh. I wouldn't pull a 40 foot camper down the highway at like 70 miles an hour either, you know? So it's definitely not as easy as like hopping in your minivan and driving somewhere, but still cool that you can move it around. But yeah, the people have to do their research on the integrity of the build. And how they finish the walls on the inside makes a big difference too. Like in a normal house, you leave a quarter inch or or an eighth inch space, something like that in between your subfloor because wood swells. Like you have to know all those details about whatever material you choose to work with, like the environment it's going to be in and the stress it's going to be under. Just like here in Missouri, we don't build houses that are code for earthquakes, but they do in Hawaii because they have earthquakes there. So you have to kind of account for what environment your house is going to be in and what stress it's going to go under, which obviously makes a big difference if you're building a stationary tiny house on a concrete foundation, or if you're building one on skids that you can load onto a a huge truck and move just like those sheds, or if you're building it on wheels. So much stuff that we didn't think of. (laughs) It's like Like, decision fatigue. Like once you're like, okay, I think I want to live in a tiny house. That's, Oh, you're opening a can of worms. You have so many decisions to make from there. So, and then another listener was asking about other logistics. You you know, you were talking about moving and all that kind of stuff, but if you had a tiny house on wheels, where, where would you typically park it? Where would you, do you lease somewhere? Like, what do you do about actually moving it around? I think that's a great question. I can't answer for everybody. I do know in the County that I live in, Um, which is another reason why I'm selling the tiny house. It is illegal to live in a tiny home in this county unless Mm. it is in a mobile home community. And that's only because tiny house language is not defined in our zoning and code books here in the county I, I live in. So the way that a mobile home is defined is unfortunately like a tiny house would be considered a mobile home with those definitions, which is unfortunate because it's, I don't feel like it's the same thing. I don't feel like a tiny house is the same thing as a mobile home. And most of the time they're not utilized in the same way for living situations. Um, Like when I think about a mobile home, I think about a mobile home community and those, those homes are there permanently and people rent them out or they live there full time. And it's a community that's pretty set in stone, just like any other neighborhood really. But a tiny home is so different 
especially if it's on a trailer foundation because you can pick it up and take it anywhere and you might be parked somewhere for six months or a year or two weeks or a night, just depending on what type of house it is and what type of person owns it. Um, but that's the way it's defined in our county. So you can't live in one in this county, but you can rent it out as a short-term rental on Airbnb so that the county can collect transient tax, which is uh, a little odd. Sneaky. But I think that's the, yeah, that's the thing. And I, I am not an advocate. I keep saying this, I do not do risk. So I'm not an advocate for like breaking the rules in your county because I feel like there's always going to be some neighbor who tells on you. And if you're breaking the rules, that's okay. <laughs> like someone can tell on you for that. So I think just research what your code is in your county. Some counties don't have any rules. Like this is just a county I live in in this state. Four counties away, that county doesn't even have any building codes. So you could just build whatever you want, however you want. But there's a reason for there's a reason for building codes and zoning rules, and whether we agree with those reasons or not. So I would just say, do your research and figure out what's possible where you live or where you want to live. And maybe if where you want to live has unfriendly uh, for tiny house zones or codes or whatever, those things can be changed. They've been written into rule. They are amended every year. They can, they can be changed. You just have to know from there. You just have to figure out, okay, who are your county code enforcers? Maybe you can go meet with them. Go talk to the people who make the rules at your county and convince them to change them. It's been done before. There's a tiny house company in Maine. I think it's literally called Tiny Homes of Maine. And that's been a big part of what they do outside of building tiny homes is helping counties and municipalities within the state of Maine change their codes so that tiny homes are protected and welcomed in those places. And I think that's awesome. Like, it's the way of the future. We might as well get started making rules that allow and protect tiny homes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I never thought about that so much of this is governed of course it is like that's america i guess what's interesting is that me and maybe this listener like we just thought oh you want a tiny house like park it wherever you want to park it or mm -hmm. park it however you want to park it but it really might come down to the uh the codes and and the laws uh of where you want to park it yeah and there might be some work that needs to be done before you start building it to make sure a that you can build it I don't live in the city. If you live in town somewhere, you might even have to have a permit to build something like a tiny house in your backyard or in your yeah. driveway. Yeah. My HOA is not going to let me do that. Yeah. Jack's HOA didn't even barely let him put up a shade. I live in a historic neighborhood and one of my neighbors I see on like the Facebook group, she had a beautiful tiny house in their backyard that they were renting out for Airbnb. And yep, somebody snitched pretty quickly oh. and they had to sell it because oh. I don't know. I don't know what the codes are here, but yeah, I saw the whole drama go down on Facebook and uh, it was uh, some boiling tea. Yeah. Some drama in the neighborhood. Right. But that's the, that's the way it goes. And like I said earlier, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when you're building something. This also applies before you set out building something like just check on what the rules are, where you're at. Yes, we live in a free country and we would like to do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want, especially if it's not hurting anybody. But we all know that's not really the reality when you have neighbors who live close by. And I'm really lucky to live in the middle of nowhere. Like you can't even see my house from the other houses around here. My grandparents are my neighbors. Like it's just a, in the middle of nowhere, huge farm, like super lucky. It's all zoned for ag. So we can, that means zoned for agriculture. So we could build a barn with like minimal permitting and nobody would have any issues with it, but that's not the way it is for everybody else. So you got to check the rules. I, I can't help but think that zoning laws and whatnot are also racist by nature, just to continue to create divides in communities and whatnot. So I'm sure that's something very interesting to look into as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think it would be an, a good bargaining chip. Um, if you can look into the history of your county's zones and rules and regulations, and maybe when those certain rules and regulations came about, you know, anybody who's with it these days can probably be like, ah, that's kind of obvious. Let's change that because it's racist. Yeah, that's I'm shook. Basically, I'm about to go into zoning law. I'm going to be a lawyer now. <laughs> Do it. 
do it. When I was looking into tiny houses, I was like, yeah, they're going to cost $10,000. LOL. They don't cost $10,000. They're rather expensive. If you're buying it, does it actually cost less to build a tiny house than it does to build just a small house? Yes, depending. So when I think about this question, I'm going to answer it with the understanding of where I live. So where I live, you need to have a dugout foundation for a basement because we live in Tornado Alley. So safety first, <laughs> you've got to uh, yeah. have that. And it's also more secure than like a slab foundation would be here because of the type of soil we have. Um, so because of that, it is cheaper to build a tiny home because a foundation is so expensive to have dug and poured with concrete. But if you live somewhere where you can do post and pier foundations, it might cost about the same as a tiny house on wheels to just build that same house in, in a similar footprint on a post and pier foundation. So I think that's the biggest factor is what type of foundation would be best or required wherever you want to build because foundations are expensive. Yeah, it sounds like basically most of this is just knowing a lot more than, oh, I want to live in a small space. It sounds like we need to know everything about the town, the zoning, and also, yeah, like taking a, a close look at even you mentioned the soil, like just understanding everything that goes into it. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's probably, yeah, it differs from state to state, community mm -hmm. to community. Yeah, I did. I did have that idea, too, of like, oh, t building a tiny house is going to be, oh, super cheap or buying one. Yeah, it, it's not. <laughs> it can be expensive. I definitely think building one is cheaper than buying one. But the same could be said for a house. So sometimes I'm out here and I'm building this tiny house and it, something isn't going right and I'm getting frustrated. And then I walk out of it and I'm like, I could have just built a freaking house, like a normal house. And it would have been the same because you have to buy electrical wire. You have to buy like sheathing for the outside and siding and roofing and framing and all the stuff that you need for a normal house. But the biggest difference is what foundation it goes on. And that's also, I would say the biggest cost difference too. So if you can build a cheap foundation, then building a tiny house on a cheap foundation permanently will probably be just the same as building one on a, on wheels. But I, that's how I think you can save the most money. Whether you're building a house, like a normal conventional house or a tiny house is doing the work yourself. And it's not that hard. It's like a God-given right to build your own shelter. Um, <laughs> not to bring God into it, whether you guys believe in that or not, or whether you're listening or not. But I don't know, it's just so human. Like we've been building our own living spaces since the beginning of time. So it's not that hard. Everything's figure outable. Yeah, with YouTube, I've been watching a lot of Naked and Afraid, so I can definitely fashion a shelter. For sure. <laughs> it's doable. <laughs> the tiny house movement is big right now, but I think van living is also a big deal right now, too. Do you think, personally, there's a difference between tiny house living and van living? Yeah, and I think there's a difference in those communities, too. Like, they're diverse from each other and similar in so many ways, but I do think there are similar people in each space with similar interests or similar values. Maybe they're just, maybe they just have different goals in life. Like maybe you live in a tiny house and you only want to travel every six months versus living in a van and you want to travel every day or something along those lines. So I think there are, there's a lot of like crossover, if that makes sense. Those communities seem to bleed into one another. Like I'm interested in both of them. I would totally love to live in a van not for a long term, but for however many months, travel around. That'd be so cool. I'd be so, I'd be so down to live in a tiny house, but I'm also cool with living in like a small studio apartment. So I think there has to be other people like me who are excited by all of the possibilities that those similar yet different living situations bring. Yeah. And I mean, do you think too that there's like an overlap or no in, in the build types too? I feel like with van living, you also have to be very thoughtful about how you plan the space out and, you know, the drawers have to function in this certain way, same as maybe a tiny house would, or, or do you feel like that might be different? I feel like it's got to have similarities. I'm, I haven't built done like a band build yet. That would oh, it'd be so dope to do in the future at some point. But sometimes I'm like, man, if I could build this tiny house and it takes me months, surely I could convert a van in a weekend, <laughs> which I'm sure there's a van dweller listening to this who's converted their own van and they're like, oh, 
she doesn't even know like how, how much work goes into <laughs> it. I'm sure it's a lot of work, but yeah, I, I think just like in tiny houses, how you can build a high end luxury home or you can DIY it and do it on the super cheap. I see the same thing with van builds too, where people are converting Mercedes vans and getting super intricate and high end with all these fancy tech things and other people just find a used van and put some plywood in there and make it work. Some people are saying that van life is uh, gentrifying homelessness or it's glorified homelessness because when folks were living in their vans or people of color were living in their vans, uh, they would get like arrested for illegal parking and stuff. And now all these young white kids uh, who have the money to kind of like pimp out their van are just like praised and people think they're so unique. I'm curious, like what your thoughts on that are. I'm not shitting on van life. Like I would love it. I want to build my own van too, but do you have any thoughts as being in the tiny house movement? Yeah, I think tiny house living is definitely gentrified and it's the same for van life. Like it's not new. Living in small spaces is not new. Living in your car is not new. Those things have been happening out of necessity for people out of hardship for decades and decades and decades. And you're so right. Like we just see all these cool people on the internet who are like, yeah, I live in a van and I like go surf. And you're like, oh my God, I want to do that. And it completely kind of blinds us to the reality of, of another side of van living or living out of your car or living in a shed that you converted. A lot of people live this way because that's the only option or because it's the option that makes the most sense for them. They don't do it because they're like me and they're like, Oh, but it's like my passion. And it's like, I have to do this. And it's my dream. Uh, that's not how it is for a lot of people. And I think that's important to recognize for sure. I agree. And yeah, that's a good way of putting it that people from all, all across the board can definitely uh, get into this. But yeah, when I first started seeing tiny living, the thing that drew me to it outside of just being intentional was all of these people were like, I'm debt free. And so it yeah. definitely has a lot to do with money. A lot of people are like, I'm going to live in my car. So that way I can pay for college or whatever, you know, whatever that might look like. So yeah, definitely all walks of life participating in, in tiny living, whether it's out of necessity or uh, for fun. The tiny house movement is, has been gaining a lot of traction over the last few years and lots of young people really love it. Like, what are your thoughts on, on why that is? I just think it's accessible in a time when we're realizing the life we've been told we need to live is becoming more and more out of reach for at least for people like me. You go to college and then you get a full-time job and you get your paycheck and you're like, um, what about rent? <laughs> like, what about going out to eat? And it's just, it's just like you pull the curtain back on. I thought if I went to college and I got a full-time job, like everything would be okay. And then you're like, boop, boop, nope, you're going to struggle. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to afford everything that your parents could afford or your parents even wanted you to afford. Like the thought of buying a house right now, like a normal house is impossible for me because we all lived through, if you're listening to this, you probably lived through the 2008 financial crisis. And I cannot with that, with that like generational trauma hanging on to all of us, with how housing prices are right now, at least where I live, houses just are not worth what they're going for. And it's because there are not a lot of houses, but there are a lot of people my age who really want one and really need one and can't live with their parents or can't do the apartment thing anymore and just keep pitching money away to rent every month. But houses are expensive. Real houses are expensive very expensive and unattainable for some people. So I think for a lot of us, and this is definitely a thought process I've had, it's a way of gaining financial control and freedom. It can help you to break away from being trapped in a mortgage or being trapped in a really high rent payment every month when you have a job that only pays so much. If you can take control over how much you spend on housing every month, that uh, that chips away at a huge chunk of change that is then up for fair it's fair game for however you want to spend it, you know? Like rent depending on where you live can be $4,000 a month, it can be $1,200 a month. Either way, that's either way you slice that. I'm sorry, $1,200 a month, that's a lot of money. $4,000 a month is also a lot of money. So if you can have that back in your pocket, if you can build your own tiny house or 
find a tiny house and park it somewhere where it then you only had to pay $500 a month to have it parked there or something along those lines. It just gives you so much more freedom in how you can use your money. Yeah. And my, how you can live your life. Yeah, exactly. Like my dad has always said, sometimes you can't change your income, but you can change your overhead. Yes. Mm. And that's like the number one thing. And I'm also thinking, you know, as you're talking that it's a hundred percent also a generational thing because our parents are boomers. At least my parents are boomers. And so they were raised by people who went through the great depression and it's been this whole big, get a big house, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like our generation, at least like maybe even generation X and then millennials and of course, Gen Z are breaking out of that binary almost of like all things, you know, like we don't have to do this and we don't have to have your quote unquote conventional way of life. And so even just to like it for it to be, it's not just about it being more affordable. It's just like, we don't have to work full time if we don't have overhead. Yeah. Like we can, we can just figure it out. Like we're going to do it a different way. And that's, I wonder what like we're going to want for our kids, for those of us in our generation who are having kids, like what are we going to want for them? Because our parents and our parents' parents just wanted the American dream for all of us. Like have the house with the white picket fence and like have a family because a lot of people generations prior didn't have that. And like that would have made them happy. And so I totally understand where those messages come from, but then you get here and you're like doing the dream that would make you happy. And then you're like, um, Where's the happiness? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, when's this going to arrive? So, and I'm sure that many people in our generation are like, I have it. I've got the car and the wife and the kids and the white picket fence in the house. And this is life. And I love it. And I think that's awesome. But that's also not for me. And that's not for a lot of people in the tiny house movement, which is why there's a tiny house movement, because we're all over here. Like, there's got to be something else that makes us happy. And so I'm glad we're all finding it. And how cool is it that? All it takes is like a smaller house to maybe help some people discover what that is. Less stuff. Like who knew? Yeah. Our parents would never had, would have had to imagine like, oh, you want less stuff? Why? And I also wonder too, if like our generation, not that, not that like boomers and all that kind of stuff don't have wonderless, but I think a lot of us want to live in other places and experience new things and be able to live there. Whereas maybe... Like not that boomers don't, but they, I, you know, their idea is a white picket fence and the American dream. And that also meant, oh, I can take my family on a vacation to Disney World, to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Niagara Falls. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, and, but like, we are like, no, we want to go and experience the world and, and, and be a part of that culture and all that kind of stuff. So I wonder if like, that's a big difference to where that's why our generation is so interested in you know, minimalism and tiny homes and, you know, being able to just be free of so many things to do that stuff. Yeah. I think a big thing about that too, Jack, is that we have access to seeing other places with the internet and like we can do virtual tours of everything. So we have more, we have a larger lens, like, you know, Mm -hmm. our parents and, and those folks, they had pictures from the encyclopedia of different places. It's like they, I feel like they couldn't even conceptualize what it would be like to visit X, Y, and Z, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we really see it every point. day on like an Instagram ad. It's like fed to us. Yeah. But that makes sense. And that also kind of makes me sad. Like maybe maybe a lot of us are so discontent with the options because there are so many more options. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we have options, but still I'm like, oh, simplicity, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people have just like lists of where they want to go. And I think it's a pretty endless list of places you want to go, things you want to see. Because we might have that access that our families or our parents used to have to before. So our last guest, he's a woodworker, he's a craftsman, and he was talking a lot about that that field. And then we were asking, like, hey, are there women who are, are in that world? What is it like in this in this building community? Is it dominated by men and masculinity? Are there other women builders out there? What is it like for you as a woman builder? Well, there are definitely other women building tiny homes. I think you just have to find them. Like you have to intentionally go search for them. They exist though. 
And there are some other men on Instagram that I follow who are doing awesome stuff, building tiny homes. But yeah, it's a, if you're building a tiny home, it's dominated. It's a building industry. It's dominated by men, just like many other industries. And I I feel like that's just been my life. Like I grew up in the Midwest on a farm. So I'm very used to how it feels to go about the world, like quote unquote, a man's world. Like I'm just here, (laughs) but I I figured it out. And um, it's weird sometimes. Like there are just little, little things that happen that I'm like, oh man, that's just mildly annoying, but it's nothing. I've never experienced anything horrible or like blatantly hateful. It's just minor inconveniences. Like I wanted a pair of heated gloves from Milwaukee. That's a, they make power tools and uh, they don't have smalls. And that's the size that I need <laughs> because I have small hands. So little things like that. I'm like, Oh, I wish, I wish that that was like not a thing or power tools. Like this is the biggest pain point. It literally hurts my hands to use certain power tools because their handles are designed for a man's grip, not a female's grip. And my hands are of course smaller. So I have to be particular about the types of power tools and their handles and the ones that I use versus not use, because if it doesn't have good sized handle or like the best fit I can get, it hurts my hands after a day of like cutting windows out of OSB with like a multi-tool that's, that's hard to hold on to. Well, just causes a little bit of pain, but yeah, little things like that, like finding work gear, like all my Carhartt coveralls are men's coveralls because they're a easier to find and b often more affordable and c more functional. Like my men's Carhartts have way more pockets than the female's mm-hmm. coveralls. <laughs> like I just I need just as many pockets. I'm doing the same work. But yeah. things like that, like power tool handles and sizes available and yeah, access to stuff. But I'm just like, why do you got to make women's stuff that like costs more? Like I also don't need it to be pink. Not that Carhartt does that all the time, but <laughs> pink like, I, camo. Need, I know I just need like a good, good, good tools and good materials that aren't pink that work. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to the year lumber store to get materials and whatnot, have you ever had an experience where you go in and you feel like they're not taking you as seriously as any men that are in the store at the time? Yeah, that happens sometimes, but it's also like par for the course. So if I'm with my husband and I need, I need to ask a question about where something is, they direct their questions about what I need or what I'm building or what I'm making to my husband. And then my husband feels awkward and he's like, I literally have no idea. Like she's asking you the question and it's just mildly like, rude because I'm the one talking to them and then they like turn and look at my husband as and he didn't even say anything and I'm just like what is is this real life and it happens so often that I'm like whatever like it's we'll just wait for this little dance that we do (laughs) to commence and then I'll find what I need and it's happened a couple of times before too with people who haven't worked at the store like another customer will be in there and I'll be sitting there looking at this wall of screws, trying to find one of the two boxes they say they have left in their inventory. And some guy will just walk up and be like, what are you, what are you looking for? And they don't have like the Home Depot apron on and they don't work there. And I'm just like, I'm good. I, I'm fine. This is weird. That's just a little bit creepy. But um, I told my sister, my sister went with me the other day. She helps me on the tiny house sometimes. And it was cold. So I lent her a pair of my coveralls to wear. And we went to Lowe's to pick up more paint. And I was like, you're going to love this. You're going to want to wear coveralls to Lowe's every time we go in. She's like, why? And I was like, we're going to get treated like royalty. And it's true. <laughs> like if I walk in in leggings and like a t-shirt and like normal street clothes, I'm a girl. So like, I don't, I don't, I just feel like I'm a normal customer there. Like unassuming, like I'll ask for help if I need it. But if I stroll in in my coveralls and maybe this is true for men too, but if I stroll in in my coveralls, I'm like, roll out the red carpet. I'm a professional. And they, they will like assume that like, I know what I'm doing or they'll, they'll say something like we went to the paint counter and the guy at the paint counter was like, y'all been working hard. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but I work hard even when I wear leggings. Like it's it, little things like that. I think kind of make me smile. Like, I think that's the upside of it. It's just little things to laugh at. That's not so much like you know, discrimination or being rude or anything like that. It's just like, Hey, pro tip, 
if you're going to go to Lowe's, wear your coveralls and like, they're going to really like roll the red carpet out for you. Little things like that. It's funny. Oh my God. So, so what you're saying is what, this is why I'm get, keep getting disrespected when I'm there. Cause I wear my boat shoes and my khakis with my polo tucked in Yeah, and my, and my hair slicked back. That's why. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Although my husband and I, like if we're, if we're like out to brunch or something on a Saturday and we go in and I have a question, we were, we're both wearing like our brunch clothes, if that's even a thing. And <laughs> like they, they ask him the question instead of me. So I don't know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not the boat shoes. Yeah. Maybe they just know I'm a fraud. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds like, you know, little microaggressions that probably a lot of women are so used to because it's such, such an, a normal experience, but that sucks though. But uh, hopefully they realize that you know a lot more than them. Probably. I don't know. I, I just try and let it roll off my back. Cause I need to get in and get out when I'm at Lowe's, like I'm there on a mission to waste as little time as possible. Um, but yeah, it's just eh, the day in the life of a woman in a man's world, I guess. No big deal. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's so unnecessary and like we're in 20 freaking 21, like, Come on now, dude at Home Depot. I I also I hate Home Depot, so I'll trash talk Home Depot <laughs> any day of the week. So Lowe's all the way. <laughs> yeah. Around here, we like Menards. Do you guys have those where you live? Mm-mm. There's, it's so much better than like Home Depot and Lowe's combined. It's just like oh, the greatest place in all the land. <laughs> I have a surprise question. Mm-hmm. And this is in honor of Jack Vaughn here. What's your favorite screw? <laughs> oh man i guess screw head type so if you had to pick between like phillips or flathead oh, or dude, phillips are the worst if you are using a phillips head still to this <laughs> day i feel so bad for the torture you're putting yourself through it is unnecessary yeah. please use a square bit or a torx bit for please okay jack taught me this and i know i'm repeating myself because we just talked about this last on the last episode but Jack taught me that I was living my life incorrectly with the Phillips head. You I stripped are. I stripped every screw you I've do. ever touched. <laughs> I feel You don't so even much have to pain. touch it. No, you just look at it or like you get the bit kind of close and it just like shatters. I yes. don't even understand. But yeah. Also, I have discovered I feel like if I give this advice somebody's going to use it and then it's not going to work for them and they're going to hate me. That's fine. <laughs> um, disclaimer, disclaimer. But impact rated Bosch brand Phillips head drill bits are cream of the crop. If you absolutely have to use a Phillips head screw, they don't break as often. Often they don't strip out the screw as bad as others. It's a, okay. It's a okay. Is there a certain go-to brand that you have? Cause you were saying some brands like, you know, like it's too big for your hands. Like, mm-hmm. is there a certain brand that you really like? I wish I could say yes, but I am too broke to like try all of them. <laughs> I, I think like, Using what you have or what you have access to is obviously the best option. I will sacrifice my grip strength if I have a free tool that I can use rather than like going out and buying another one. Um, but Milwaukee is definitely better than Craftsman. If you're a, if you have small hands and you're listening to this, Milwaukee's grips are more suitable. I found than Craftsman um, and Ryobi. With one Ryobi tool that I have, like seems to have, it's a multi-tool. So I have to use both hands anyways, but it works, works better. My hands don't die. <laughs> I love Ryobi. Ryobi is yeah, the best. I love that Ryobi is like bright green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> That's my they thing. do have like a really great color scheme. Everything else is like red or some type. Mm-hmm. It's got red somewhere on it. What do you say would be a call to action for our listeners who are interested in tiny house living, who are building, who might be want to learn a little bit more about building or whatever it might be? What would your call to action be for them? I think my call to action is more broad, like rather than just for people who are thinking about tiny house living or interested in it or already building one. I just think if you have something that's like eating away at your heart and your brain for half of the time or all of the time, like you should listen to that maybe like figure out how to do that because I don't think it's going to go away. It didn't for me, 
So I think anybody who has like a little voice in the back of their head, that's like, Hey, what about this thing that we're interested in? Or that like, we're really passionate about, like, what if you just entertained it for a minute? You can just figure out a way to entertain it and go from there. Chase yeah. your dreams. Be brave. Right. Be yeah. brave. Just and do it. <laughs> just do um, it. Nike it. Nike, baby. What is something that you don't know how to do, but you want to know how to do it? I don't know anything about music. Like, I don't know how to play guitar. I wish I could. I wish I could play ukulele. I wish I could read music. I wish I could play music. I just, I don't know how to do any of that. And I would love to learn. I feel you. Yeah. I, I could see you with a ukulele. Me too. Yeah. yeah. If you it's look the like aesthetic. a person that would play a ukulele. <laughs> yeah. I have one, but I just have never sat down and practiced enough. Like, I could get the hang of like half a song maybe, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just mimicking someone on YouTube doing the same thing. And mm. I don't feel like that's really learning. Like I want to be able to, you know, be in the radio, in the car, listening to the radio and hear a song come on and then go home and figure out how to play it on my uke. Last question is where can people follow you? Yeah, I'm at Anise E on Instagram. That's A-N-N-I-C-E-E -E on Instagram. That's where you can find me. Awesome. And if you're interested in the tiny house stuff specifically, not like so much the building process, but like blog posts and like all those intricate details about what's gone into the house, anise-denny.com is my website. Follow Anise. And, and thank you, Anise, so much for, for being on and sharing a little bit more about your passion and, and tiny house building and all these, uh, all these very interesting things about this tiny house world. Yeah, um, thanks for thank having you. me. Thanks. We love you. We appreciate your time, Anise. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and share with your friends. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Who Knows We Don't Pod. Send us a message with what topics you're interested in hearing more about. And if you want to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you on. Drop us a line. Love you, baby. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>